Open your Bibles, please, to Proverbs 15. Proverbs chapter 15. Our God is infinitely happy, totally content. There isn't any person in hell or being in hell, the devil and his angels, that he didn't intend to be there. And there's no one, there's no one less in heaven than he intended to be there as well. People get the wrong ideas that through eternity God's going to be weeping over the rail of heaven at those in hell. That is so far from the truth. As Romans 9 tells us, he made the vessels of honor and he made the vessels of dishonor both, and they both praise him completely. He's infinitely happy. You can't add, don't add, and will never add a thing to him. And no matter how you live, you'll never take a thing from him. He wants you to be happy. We're his children. He commands us to be happy. He supplies reasons for our happiness. He suggests how we can do it. He warns us about not being happy, and He teaches us how we can be. Every good man, when he marries a woman, wants to make her happy. Every good parent of either sex, mother or father, love a happy family with happy children. They want to make their children happy. We are the bride and the children of the living God. He compares himself as a father and a bridegroom to us as inferiors in both offices. He says that every good father on earth likes to give good gifts to his children. If the children ask bread, he doesn't give them a scorpion or a stone. A good father wouldn't do that. If ye, he reasons... If ye being evil, and we're all evil fathers in comparison, if ye being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give good gifts, give the Holy Spirit, give the things we ask for to us? So keeping that in mind, and the fact that the Bible reasons from that, That the way that a bridegroom treats his bride and the way that a father treats his children, the Lord trumps us in both offices. And He seeks to make us happy and show us how to be happy because He wants us to be happy. And I am not talking about the world's happiness. I am talking about true Christian joy and gladness that flows from the heart that is walking with God and knows Jesus Christ like we just celebrated Him for the last hour. Proverbs 15.15, there is no time for review. This is the last on this subject. The Lord willing, next Sunday we will be back in John chapter 3 for Jesus meeting Nicodemus and our study of that gospel. Proverbs 15.15, I thank God for the divine library that we have. We have the gospel of John, but we have the book of Proverbs. When we go into the leather-lined library of Almighty God and pull a volume of the 66 off the shelves, one of them is written by the preacher named Solomon. And he told us about life, his observations of it, his inspired observations of it. And even without inspiration, he was wiser than you or me. But he was inspired. And he wrote this, All the days of the afflicted are evil. But he that is of a merry heart hath a continual feast. 
like many of the Proverbs, there are two clauses to be compared. These two clauses are set in opposition to each other by the little inspired disjunctive, but. But tells us that there's two different ways of living, two opposite ways of living. If we compare the parts of each clause, all the days in the first clause compares to continual in the second clause. The afflicted in the first clause is opposite the merry heart in the second clause. Evil in the first clause is opposite feast in the second clause. What can we learn? We can learn that there's not real afflictions in Proverbs 15.15. It's self-imposed afflictions of a person who chooses to look at the negative aspects of life instead of the positive. And it's how we choose to live that makes the difference. You have heard, and I'm not going to run into those illustrations, they are funny and interesting, about attitude being the greater part of success and happiness in life or on the job. But looking at this, all the days of the afflicted are evil. Here's a person that sees all the negative, that worries and frets and envies and and has grudges and bitterness. He's afflicted all the time when he's in his bed. He's thinking negative thoughts. His whole life is evil. And the evil, like I've taught you, is not sin in this verse. It's the opposite of a feast. It's bad, painful, troublesome, sorrowful, negative. And it's a choice. Because it's a choice in the second half, so it has to be a choice in the first half, and that's to have a merry heart. If you choose to have a merry heart, then your life can be a continual feast. All your days will be filled with pleasure. You can be in the dungeon of Philippi, and you're singing and praising God with Silas in Acts chapter 16. This is a wonderful verse. It's been our theme verse for this series. That's the last time we'll look at it for a while. Um, The Lord leading us. Some suggestions for happiness in your life. Number one, and this was last Lord's Day very quickly, and that is to walk with God. If you are not walking with God, there's no set of rules or suggestions to make you happy like the person that walks with God and doesn't follow the rest of the rules. It is walking with God and loving the Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't get excited about Zephaniah 3, 14 through 20, if you don't get excited about Psalm 45, if you don't love the Lord Jehovah, the Lord God, and His Son Jesus Christ, I can't help you. I don't want to help you, and I won't be available when you ask for me. Because I only want to help those that walk with God. Because we don't have enough time to help this world, and we don't really care. They're looking at their soap bubbles, their vanity, and their sin for pleasure. And we know that it's only pleasure for a season. Then comes the guilt, shame, and judgment of the living God. And we'll all give an account for our lives. But for those that want to walk with God, there are things taught in the Bible. Number two, you need to rule your spirit. Every one of us know that at times a feeling comes on. I'm discouraged. We'll get to talking to yourself That's one of the stupidest things you ever do, is talk to yourself. You know, there is good talking to yourself. David, why art thou cast down, O my soul? He talked to himself. That was good. 
But most people talk to themselves in a bad way. I'm so discouraged. I'll never be able to get this done. I feel overwhelmed. Well, just use a few more sentences and you will be. Because that's your spirit coming on and you need to tell that spirit, shut up. I don't need to listen to you. That's wrong. Those little things you're pointing out to me right now don't even measure in the big scheme of things. The Bible tells us that a man that doesn't rule his spirit is like a city with the wall broken down. Any enemy can come in at any time. But a man that rules his spirit is like a man that takes a city by himself. Single-handed victory over a walled city is equivalent to the man or the woman that rules their spirit. That gets up in the morning and has two things go wrong. Bad hair day, and they're a minute late for work. The day's ruined. That is pitiful. We should be ashamed for those words to even come out of my mouth. And for your ears to hear them and for the smile on your faces telling me, been there, done that. Lord, save us and help us from such infantile approach to life. We can rule our spirits, and we should. If you were called by our governor or even our mayor or our president to appear before him for a few minutes, you would not be having a bad day there. You would get everything cleaned up and you would be happy and excited. Sir, it is so good to see you. I am honored by this privilege. But listen, we're in the presence of God all day, all night, and we should be rejoicing in his presence as we've just been considering. We need to move on. Sorry. The third one was honoring parents. Here's a little simple practical one. Do you want to have a good life to be happy about? Honor your parents. What does it mean to honor them? Treat them special. Do nice things for them. Say nice things to them. Remember their kindnesses from the past. It has nothing to do with obeying them. It has to do with honoring them. Say say yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. You can do that. You can send them gifts. You can take them out to eat. What does God say? Good life, long life, if you'll just do that. I know it's my first commandment of the ten that I gave you with a promise attached to it. Go for it. See if I won't keep my word. Try me. Dare me. I'll bury you with goodness if you'll honor your parents. Friends in the Lord. Jonathan went to David in the wood and strengthened his hand in God. He brought joy back to David because David would have been discouraged in the woods hiding from Saul. So we need good friends and those friends need to talk about the things of the Lord, not about the little things of life. We don't need to talk about the little things of life as much as getting our focus back on the Lord, His ways, His word, His will for our lives. Parents, don't discourage your children. The Bible warns fathers, don't discourage your children or provoke them to anger, but bring them up in the nurture, the nurture, the nourishment, the help, the support, and the admonition of the Lord, that they'll be cheerful in Him, excited to worship Him, because you're exciting, and because you encourage them in excitement toward the Lord. The Bible, this is another practical suggestion, is an incredible gift from God. You have a spirit inside you, created by God, and the spirit of the living God is in you. Your new man only responds to one book, primarily. And any other book that's written about that book. But it all comes back to that book. The Bible is a spiritual book that feeds the human soul. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. 
Now we have a whole lot more than bread, but man shall still not live by our diet. We need the Bible. If you don't have joy and excitement and power in your life, it's because you're not feeding on this book. You need to take a few minutes, and it doesn't take a long time. If you gave the Lord 1%, you little miser, I love you. If you gave the Lord 1%, it's still going to be 14 minutes and 40 seconds a day to meditatively read His Word. If you were to meditatively read Psalm 45, something should happen to you. You should get to verse 17 and want to be that man. I will make His name to be remembered in all generations. And so you should want to go out and tell someone about the Lord Jesus Christ. We move on. Look at Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs chapter 5. Okay, let's move on. I've got to go really fast today. And we're going to end on time. Lord willing. Marriage. Make your marriage great. It will make your life great. The Lord gave you marriage. The Lord told you how to have a marriage. The Lord tells you and shows you and gives the effects of marriage in you physiologically, psychologically. The Lord blesses marriage and He wants us to be happy in marriage. This is one of the things in order for you to be happy before the Lord is to use the means He gave us. The means He gave us is not just fellowship with Him. This almost sounds sacrilegious. I've said it a thousand times. I'll say it more if the Lord will give me breath. It was not good enough for Adam, perfect, in a perfect world, to walk with God in the cool of the evening. God said, God said, the holy God said, the spiritual God said, the pure God said, it is not good. It is not good for the man to walk with me in the cool of the evening in a perfect world by himself. It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. I will make him the perfect companion. And did he ever. Adam, wake up. Yes, sir. What in the world? Whoa, Lord! There's Eve. A wonderful blessing. A tremendous blessing. I don't have to go through life alone anymore. I don't have to name all these animals that keep coming to me as Mr. and Mrs. Every one of them has a pair. They all come to me and I don't have anyone. But now he had someone. And she looked a little bit better than... What's your favorite animal? Be careful if you're married and she's sitting next to you. Marriage is a great place to start. Look at these verses. Proverbs 5, verse 18. Let thy fountain be blessed. That is the ability of a man to have a family. And rejoice with the wife of thy youth. This is the same preacher telling us, how do we have a continual feast? We have good marriages. Let thy fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Let her be. These are imperative verbs telling you men that you can choose to have these three conditions of verse 19. Let her be as the loving hind and pleasant roe. You can choose to look at your wife like you would a pet deer. A small red deer, a pet deer, Bambi, whatever you want to think in your mind to help you out. It's a choice. 
Let her be as the loving hind in pleasant row. Let her breast satisfy thee at all times. You can think about them often, and they satisfy you. And be thou ravished always with her love. To be ravished is to be overwhelmed and overtaken by another force. And that's to let your wife's love bury you, win you, turn your world upside down, curl your toes, whatever, however you want to describe it. It's the Word of God. Both Testaments teach it. Both Testaments teach having a great marriage. 1 Corinthians 7, the wife doesn't have power of her own body. She doesn't have the authority to say yes or no. The husband doesn't have authority or the right to say yes or no. You're supposed to come together often. And the only reason you shouldn't is because by mutual design, you're giving yourself to fasting and prayer. And all you have to do is ask yourself how long you fast and pray to tell how long it should be between lovemaking. Now be condemned by that jewel. Because it's God's gift. Thank you, Lord. Look at this. Verse 18 said, Rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Look at Ecclesiastes 9. Same writer, same author. God the Holy Spirit by the pen of Solomon. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. God's goal for marriage is to end loneliness, which is not a happy condition, and end insecurity for the woman. He described a good marriage in Solomon's song, and I'm not turning you there. See, I'm being discreet. I'm being modest. I'm being prudent. Song of Solomon has eight chapters and you ought to read them. It's a graphic description of a couple in incredible, euphoric ecstasy, sexually and romantically, in the Word of God. Remember, we walk into the Divine Library and there's 66 volumes. We reach up. Oh, they're all good. I'm just going to close my eyes and pull one off. And it's the Song of Solomon. And it's the Word of God. It's the Bible. It's the Holy Bible. It's part of the Holy Bible. Marriage is honorable in all. Now, what's it talking about in all? Eating three meals to get together? Marriage is honorable in all in the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. The Lord gave us all that because he's telling us this is one of my great gifts to you, and here's where it says it very clearly. Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 9. Live joyfully. Well, I better back up so that you can understand my change in apparel this morning. Verse 8, let thy garments be always white. Verse 9, oh, forget it. I love the Bible. I love the Bible. You know, we, it's, it's a hard line to draw. The Bible says in the New Testament that we're to worship God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, so we continue to dress up while our nation dresses down. But when I get into Ecclesiastes, it says, let thy garments be always white. So, Verse 9, live joyfully, live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all the days of the life of thy vanity. How do you have a continual feast? How do you avoid all your days being evil? Live joyfully with your wife, which he hath given thee under the sun. God under the sun, that means life on earth. Life in heaven is going to take care of itself. We will not need a spouse. You will not need a wife to be happy in heaven. God's going to take care of that. Listen, if he takes care of that and can take away her from me as my wife, he has something in store that I haven't imagined yet. Right. Just leave it at that. 
This is what the Bible says. Live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all the days of the life of thy vanity. Life is vain without a wife. Life is vain on this earth. Solomon said all is vanity and vexation of spirit, which he hath given thee under the sun. This is God's gift. All the days of thy vanity we can have a gift. Till death do us part. I know that when I'm slobbering all over myself, if she's still alive, she's going to be dabbing it off and telling me some ridiculous statement about what a dear man I am to her. We all have one of those. Amen. It's like we bribed them. But they love us and they're faithful. And it's the life stinks. Solomon said so. Right. All is vanity and vexation of spirit. But one of the cures is right here. This is thy portion in this life and in thy labor which thou takest under the sun. What makes life rewarding? What makes life exciting, fulfilling? It's having a great wife or a great husband and using them and enjoying them the way God designed. A husband can cheer up his wife. So if your wife's not as cheerful and isn't fulfilling her role in your life like she could, it's probably your fault. You know how I preach it. I preach submission and reverence by wives, but I also teach that the buck stops here with the man because the man's supposed to love his wife, cherish her, nourish her, build her up. And there was a whole one-year honeymoon required of the Israelite men to stay at home and cheer up their wives, which they had taken in Deuteronomy 24.5. If it can be done to a wife that is yours by an arranged marriage, it can certainly be done by the wife that chose to live with you. Does that make sense to you? So let's just do it. It works. Our wives are responders. If you love and dote on your wife the proper way and you lead her and you show her some manhood in the home, instead of being an infant or a complainer or a whiner or moody or dark or negative or critical, she'll respond. She'll know that she's married to a prince. She sits in these assemblies. She reads the Word of God. She knows what it says. She can bury you. She's more than sufficient for any man. We don't need polygamy. We just need to be loving husbands. Wives testify that the simplest kindness of a husband can recharge their batteries. When was the last time you just held your wife without any other thoughts? You say, I don't know how to do that. (laughs) Well, you're not 60. Oh, Lord, forgive me for saying that. When was the last time you cuddled with your wife and talked to her? They tell me She tells me that her batteries can be recharged in seconds to do anything the next day. To undo anything of this day and to do anything the next day by a little bit of recharging. Lord, help us to do that. Treachery by a husband causes tears in a wife. God sees every one. We've been over it. It's Malachi chapter 2. When he looks at his altar and he sees the tears of women, whether they're cried externally or not, God sees them all. He puts them in his bottle and he holds men responsible for not loving their wives the way they should. Husbands can neglect or oppress their wives in many ways that cause grief. A happy wife will be an energized producer and an initiating lover to her husband. It's a daily choice to get over yourself and to love your wife, to get over any bitterness, to wildly love your spouse. This person above all others should be the easiest and the first to put love and joy into practice. Marriage can be a two-edged sword. If you don't make your marriage great, you lose all the natural benefits that are there by design in marriage, and you bring God's chastening upon you. Great marriages need walking with God, and walking with God needs a great marriage. 
They go hand in hand. Love making as God intended brings many benefits, which I'll leave unsaid today. Let's go to another point. We have to hurry. You have no idea how much is laid before me to bring you right now. Many, uh, many points. Here's another one. Believe you are forgiven. Do you know there are people that go through life with a melancholy conscience worrying about past sins? They're under the blood. Forget them. You are calling into question one of two things. The integrity of God that He will keep His promises and forgive you or the sufficiency of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other explanation for your arrogant rebellion not to believe you are forgiven. It is not self-examination. It is not a tender conscience. It is arrogance. That you are something special. And for you to have sinned was a special event in the universe. It was nothing. It was a slime event that Jesus Christ has fully paid for. I do not want you or me to ever do either one of those two things. Question the integrity of God who said that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. If you think you're still guilty, if you still feel bad, if you're still wallowing in that junk, You are calling His integrity into question or you are calling into question the sufficiency of Jesus' death for your sins. Look at Isaiah 55. I know I'm being harsh when I say that, but that is ridiculous. That is ridiculous. You have a serious emotional problem. Believe the Word of God. Believe it, repent, and jump up and do something boldly in the name of the Lord. David did not wallow around in his sin. He said, I have sinned against the Lord. Six words. The Lord, and Nathan immediately said, the Lord hath forgiven thee. Then David said, restore unto me the joy of my salvation, so that I'm the way I used to be, and I will teach transgressors your ways. I will jump right back into my office of prophet of Israel. I'll jump right back into the leader of this nation and teach them thy word, thy statutes. I will not let any shame hang over me because of my murder, because of my adultery, and both heinous, provoked, aggravated acts. I will serve you again. He did not wallow in that. There's no, there's no virtue in wallowing. Do you think you're going to help pay for your sin by your wallowing? Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. That's what he wants from us. It's a broken and a contrite spirit. Oh God, thou wilt not despise. Isaiah 55, verse 8. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Is this the intelligence of God being very much greater than ours? No, it is not at all. Is this the power of God being much greater than ours? No. Is this God's wisdom being... No. What is this context? Forgiveness of sin. You don't think you're forgiven as fast as you should because you are measuring it by two standards. The way other people forgive you and the way you forgive other people. But our... Isn't that precious, David? I know, brother. Son. 
You don't want to be my brother. I'm 60. If this is the truth of God's word, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts aren't your thoughts. Because here's what verse 7 said. This is the context. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will barely pardon. For he will abundantly pardon. For, for my ways and my thoughts are not your ways and thoughts. Oh, thank you, Lord. Confess it. Lord, I was wrong. I was a fool. I violated your commandments. It didn't profit me. I turn back unto thee. Lead me in paths of righteousness and I will follow thee hard. Forgive me through the blood and work of the Lord Jesus Christ and stand up and go to work. And don't do it again. You don't need to do it again. Or you need to be a Catholic and go take Mass again and have their so-called unbloody sacrifice on their altar. They're gone. Your sins are gone. Forget them. Gone, 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 gone. Yes, my sins are gone. I could sing that chorus to you, but it could destroy this sermon. Past sins grieve some. Present sins discourage others. Future sins cause forfeiture. I'm not even going to try anymore. Because every time I've tried in the past, I end up sinning. Oh, come on. Jesus died for sins past, present, and future. Boldly go into the future. There is light and prosperity right ahead of you. Rejoice. Look at Job 33. I just referred to those words. This is one of the, this is one of the confessional um, remedies, one of, the, one of the recipes in the Bible about how to confess your sins. You know 1 John 1, 9. I've just quoted about two times. And Proverbs 28, 13. And Psalm 32, 5. Do you know these places to go? I write people every week that are still grieving under their sins. And they don't think the Lord's forgiven them. And they think the devil has free access to them. That is all a lie from the devil. Job 33, 27, He looketh upon men. And if any say, that's you or me, brother or sister, if any say, I have sinned and perverted that which was right and it profited me not, God, in three steps, I broke your commandment. I turned upside down the good thing that you gave us in your word, and it did not profit me. It ruined me. It made me, it filled me with guilt and shame. If you, all you gotta do is say that. You're right. I'm wrong. You're wise. I'm foolish. You're holy. I'm a rebel. I've sinned against your commandments. Your commandments were good and I broke them, and it didn't profit me. It didn't make me happy. All you got to do is go through those three steps with the Lord. He will deliver his soul from going into the pit, and his life shall see the light. And what, if you're seeing the light, what kind of a person are you going to be? Sad or glad? You're going to be glad if you're seeing the light. That's the way the Bible uses that expression for a good life. David was God's favorite before and after his heinous crimes. Did he wallow around? Or was he continually looking for the next thing he can do for the Lord? we got to be that way. Mirth feast. Look at Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8. The time is just racing through today. We've had a great day so far. I'm going to get nowhere in this outline. But that's okay. We'll just cover what the Lord lets us cover. Mirth feast. Public or private? Are they in the New Testament? 
They're called Feasts of Charity in Jude verse 12. Here we have a description of one. This is the greatest preaching service described in the Bible. It tells us exactly what preaching is. It's reading in the book, verse 8, it's reading in the book and the law of God distinctly and giving the sense and causing them to understand the reading. That's what preaching is. And after they preached, they understood. The people began to weep because they had been preaching to them from the books of Moses and they heard things that they were not doing. And they were stopped. Don't you dare weep today. Don't mourn. Today's holy to the Lord. You should be excited that you understand these things and you're convicted by them. Celebrate instead. He, verse 10, he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. Make sure everyone is participating. For this day is holy unto our Lord, neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. There's greater motivation and energy through joy and love than there is through fear and anger. And so the joy of the Lord is your strength. So if you really want to keep the Word of God... You have mirth feasts to increase your joy and excitement in serving the Lord. Not the dread of the preacher coming down on you or the Lord coming down on you. So we have mirth feasts in this church. Have we ever read about mirth feasts? No. We just do them because the Bible says to do them. Do we have fat things at the mirth feast? Do we have sweet things? Of course. Do we prepare portions for those that couldn't afford the meal that we have? Absolutely. We all eat alike. Did you read last night about David? When he got to move, when he got to move the Ark of the Covenant. Do you understand my terminology? He didn't consider that any duty. Saul let that thing sit for his entire 40 years of his reign. But David, as soon as he had the opportunity, got to move the Ark of the Covenant and he danced before it with all of his might. Did you read those verses with me? And then he sent everybody to their house. What did he send them with? A cake of bread, a good piece of flesh, and a flagon of wine. Did you read that verse carefully? Did it say everyone? Did it say all the women as well as the men? Was the Holy Spirit wanting to get conveyed to you that every single person in that nation was taken out to dinner by David? Praise the Lord. It's in the Bible. So we do it. You can do it in public. You can do it in private. Does it say in Acts chapter 2 that a spirit-filled church did eat their meat with gladness from house to house? They were having mirth feasts all over Jerusalem. Does God give food and gladness in our hearts to show that He's good? Acts 14, 17, He sure does. Okay, that's in both Testaments. We're thankful for our Thanksgiving Day in America. We're thankful for Nehemiah 8. We have mirth feasts sometimes if we don't have a reason, and sometimes we have mirth feasts if we do have a reason. We we like our fatted calf feasts. If a brother repents and comes back to the Lord, we love to have a fatted calf feast. Has it ever hurt us financially to drop what we drop on one of those feasts? Never. We will never outgive the Lord. If the angels in heaven are rejoicing over one sinner that repents, what do you think ought to happen on earth just a little bit? Right. There ought to be a little bit of joy here. Matthew 22. Matthew 22, verse 37. Jesus has just been asked in verse 36, Master, 
Which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. True joy is getting outside yourself. Told you many times. I'm thankful for the mother I had who left five years ago to be with the Lord, but she taught my brother and sister and me, joy is Jesus, others than you. When I have ever in my life got those things out of order, and trust me, there's been yaj in my life, and I don't know how to pronounce the others. I have got the Y way out of line. I can get the Y, I got the Y in front of the Lord, and I've got the Y between the Lord and others at times, and it never works. Right here's the order for happiness in your life. Joy is Jesus, others, and you. We also like to say it in the words that Gail Sayers wrote his autobiography and wore on a medallion that he got from the athletic director of the University of Kansas. Do you remember? I am third. Oh, that is so short and so powerful. I am third. If you are always third, can you ever be hurt by another person? No, because they're more important than you are. I am third. They're second. I should be their doormat. No one in here is going to treat you like a doormat anyway. We just make all that stuff up in our heads. Lord, help us. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Where does that put you? Third. Look at Proverbs 14 and verse 21 as we're thinking on this subject. Proverbs 14, 21. He that despiseth his neighbor sinneth, but he that hath mercy on the poor. Okay, hear those pages. That's fine. The new building is going to have big monitors, right? Building committee. He that despiseth his neighbor sinneth. Proverbs 14, 21, second clause. But he that hath mercy on the poor, happy is he. Who's happy in the second clause? The poor having mercy shown to him? Or the one showing mercy to the poor? The one showing mercy gets happy. That does not ordinarily make sense to us. We think that getting a gift should make a person happy. But the Bible teaches otherwise. The Bible says it's more blessed to give than to receive. And that it's the giver that's made happy by giving the gift to the poor that can't afford to give you a gift. So you know you're not going to get anything in return. You have given some mercy in mercy. You've given a gift to the poor and it makes you happy. That is the Word of God. And when the Word of God tells you something is contrary to human thinking, here's how you ought to react. I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. If you truly want to be happy, you will get outside yourself and serve other people. And love them like you already love yourself. This rule is incredibly elementary and simple, but it will work. Get over yourself. Jesus and Paul gave us incredible examples of those happily serving others always. Jesus said, I didn't come into this world to be ministered unto. I came into this world to minister. What does that word mean? Some exalted office of reverend? No. 
It means to be a servant. I didn't come into this world to be served. I came into this world to serve and to lay down my life. Keep your perspective grounded. Look at James 1. James 1. This is our last point before break. James chapter 1. Keep your perspective grounded on God's Word that explains all of life around us. When you take your eyes off of God's Word or you forget the things that you've learned from God's Word, you can get seriously unhappy, depressed, discouraged because you've taken your eyes off the Lord, you've taken your eyes off His Word, you've taken your eyes off His explanation for what happens in life, His promises of what's going to happen to you if you'll be faithful. James 1. My brethren, count it all joy. How happy is that brother? A little happy? Some happy? My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. How in the world can I get happy when I'm falling into trouble? When I have something troublesome come up in my life? Knowing this. Knowing. You're supposed to know something. This is your perspective of life. And if you forget this, you're going to be in trouble when trouble comes. Your spirit will tank. Knowing this. Don't forget this, brethren. James doesn't take long to get to this point, does he? Does he have one verse in front of this? And he just dives right in, just like he dives right out in 520. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into divers' temptations, knowing this, the trying of your faith worketh patience. God has brought a negative event into your life to try, test, purify, and improve your faith by experience. Trying of your faith worketh patience. Here is called patience. Romans 5, 3 through 5, we have the same construction by a different apostle. Paul wrote it and he sticks in the word experience. Patience. What is patience? Cheerfully enduring negative events. That's what patience is. Patience is not waiting forever. Patience in the Bible is cheerfully enduring negative events. Knowing this. The trying of your faith worketh patience. God brings you negative events to build your faith by giving you an opportunity to respond cheerfully. But let patience have her perfect work. Work on that thing that's going on in you. You've got this negative event. Cheerfully endure it that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Do you know what a perfect Christian is? The highest measure from a negative standpoint of a Christian? Cheerfully enduring negative events. Right. This is what it says. Let patience... Let patience fully acquire, give you the ability of cheerfully enduring negative events. And the only way you can ever develop this is by negative events. You, do you understand? He can't teach you patience, cheerfully enduring negative events, by sending you prosperity every day of your life. Right. He's got to send some negativity. So what's going to happen to us before the day's over or this week that's going to be a negative event that you need to look at and say, Oh, oh Lord, you, you count me worthy. You count me worthy of perfecting me so that there's nothing wanting in my life. Bring it on. Be very careful with those words. Do the ancient members of this church remember the Sunday night that Brother Mark Grimm raised his hand and said, would you please pray that the Lord would give me patience? And I said, Brother, are you sure you know what you're asking for? 
because there's only one way he can teach you patience, and it's not a hypodermic needle during the night. It's by negative events in your life. And they came, didn't remember? His dear wife is sitting here. He has to be. He has a negative event today, and he's very cheerful about it. I should probably read his email to you that he sent me because he couldn't be in the house. The Lord would have to be down at Clemson for that billion dollars of construction they're doing between semesters. That ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Do you like those words? Would you like to be perfect? Would you like to be an entire, complete package Christian? Right. Wanting nothing. Okay? It's got to come by negative events. So when the negative events come, you know what God's doing. He's helping you get to that higher level. Count it all joy. Jesus taught if you're persecuted for being righteous, you should also rejoice. Because great is your reward in heaven. There is a reward coming that will trump all earthly pain. That's a proper perspective to have. The sufferings of this present life are not worthy. The Bible says are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. Death and the final judgment totally reverse all things that you can perceive by sight and sound and reading. The lifestyles of the rich and famous, all of it's going to be totally reversed in one flashing, blinding bolt of lightning from God's judgment seat. All the wrath of man, no matter how high it is, is under his rule. We saw some wrath this week. Surely the wrath of man shall praise thee. The remainder of wrath thou shalt restrain. There were 11 shot or 14 shot, whatever the number is, and five died in Dallas. Surely the wrath of man shall praise thee. That's where we can put our comfort as Christians. We don't know what the Lord's going to do with that. The Lord may do that event to galvanize a segment of this country to defend our law enforcement officers and get some of their authority back. Who knows? We trust him. We totally trust him. And if we see oppressing, uh, oppression and perverting of justice in any province, we know that there's someone higher than they. Amen. All, and you know we could go on and on. The philosophy of how we look at the world, the worldview of, of the Bible, if we keep that in sight, it'll save us from being discouraged or unhappy about the things we see and hear. See, no one in the history of the world has ever seen and heard so much as we do. No one. It's never occurred like this before. And so we're bombarded every day with junk. And we can get discouraged, but there's no reason to. Jesus said in the world you're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Amen. Praise his glorious name. Stand with me, please.